Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Ben White. Ben is an excellent, inclusive community builder and the proud founder of Crafty Council, a media platform for in-house councils and other legal professionals to connect with each other. Ben trained at Clifford Chance before advancing to senior associate within their corporate finance team. He then moved to Global Fashion Group and was the group corporate counsel at the London headquarters. So a very, very warm welcome, Ben. Rob, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. What an honor. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. So the honor is all ours. And before we dive into all your amazing projects and achievements and what you've achieved to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the show. So on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? Well, I think it's like, I think it's a six. Uh, yeah, I think uh, everyone says, well, being a lawyer is nothing like Suits, but like, there were definite moments in that. There was one in the first season where, um, I can't remember the name of the guy, but he goes, he goes into um, some room where um, he's told, can you just take care of the, this documentation? And it's a room full of boxes and boxes and boxes of um, docs that need to be reviewed, sorted, maybe paginated or bundled or something. And I was like, yeah, that, that's, that's real. I remember that. So, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely a fair amount of truth in there among the fiction. Yeah, good. And justified with a, with a six. So uh, we will move swiftly on. So let's, let's start at the beginning, Ben. Tell us um, a bit about your background and career journey. Sure. So uh, background, um, well, as you mentioned earlier on the podcast, Rob, so started my career at Clipper Chance. Um, I spent seven years there trainee, qualified, um, qualified with the corporate team, um, and uh, spent some time there working in working in China, did a comment into government, um, generally enjoyed myself, um, lots of hard work, but learned lots of good things and really um, great people there uh, before moving in-house. Yeah, and what a, what a success story it's been throughout your career. But prior to that, you studied modern history at the University of Oxford before then going to study the law. So where did your initial interest in the law stem from? Well, Rob, I'm sure many of your listeners will empathise that um, people who study degrees, like humanities degrees, like history or English, um, then when they get into the world of work, start to scratch their heads and wonder, right, what am I going to do with this? And it's a fairly <laughs> well-trodden well path from a degree like that to law, you know, history is reading lots of long books and coming up with arguments and synthesizing things. And there's a bunch of skills in there, which are not, um, not too dissimilar to some of the work that, that lawyers do. Um, so of my, you know, if my group in my college at Oxford, I think we were about 12 studying history in that college and something like eight, um, became trainees in law firms. So, um, if not more. So, uh, yeah, it's a well-trodden path. Um, but so I, um, uh, family connections, my dad's a lawyer, my brother's a lawyer. So there's a little bit of a path, path there of almost sort of falling into it. But um, uh, so that was certainly some inspiration. Um, but I think I also, I think early on, I had this feeling that I might not be practicing law forever. And indeed, yeah. although it was... Um, it was, a, it was a lot of fun, and I'm still in the legal sector. 
uh, I'm not too surprised that we're on today on doing something a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. And we're definitely going to talk a little bit more about what you're getting up to uh, currently. But sort of what you mentioned uh, at the start and just briefly that you, you did go on to then train at Clifford Chance and completed six month seats in corporate banking, international arbitration and the corporate seat in Shanghai. So what were those experiences of, of working abroad for, for you like so early on in your career? I really enjoyed it. So I had a slightly, <clears throat> I, I, I did one unusual thing from the path from history at Oxford to Clifford Chance. And that's that I stuck around at Oxford for, for a couple of extra years and did a master's in Chinese studies. And what that means is um, a, a research on modern Chinese history um, yeah. and writing dissertation and all that stuff, and also studying Mandarin. Um, and the connection to uh, to your question about then working abroad at Triple Chance was that I spent some time in China uh, and invested a fair amount of time in, into learning about China uh, before starting my training contract. And so I pushed quite hard then when I was at CC to get an opportunity to go over to Shanghai. Um, a lot of the, uh, some of the other overseas officers, um, it was a bit more sort of tried and tested that they'd usually take several London trainees at a time. Um, Shanghai, not so much. And Actually, one of the nice things about that was I was the only one there from CC, and there was a small number of other uh, of other trainees on secondment from their firms in London over in Shanghai. There were two from Evershed at that time, uh, a couple from Linklater's, uh, a couple from Freshfields, and so on. But it meant that actually we were quite we naturally we sort of gravitated towards each other as uh, you know our sort of ready-made buddies in China, uh, all doing something similar for six months. And that made actually a tight, quite a sort of tight social group out in Shanghai. Um, so that was a great experience, definitely a highlight of, uh, of being at CC. But actually throughout my time at CC, I did get a chance to travel for a fair amount. Um, I went out to Chile on a bit of a business development trip. Got right. to go up a mine called the Los Palambras Mine. So taking um, a little uh, propeller plane out of Santiago up into the Andes Mountains and um, having a tour around that. That was quite an experience. Um, spent a little bit of time in Chicago, three weeks in Amsterdam on a, on closing a coffee deal. So <laughs> lots of lots of travel, some uh, and mostly very welcome. So. Yeah, well, that's great that you, you did Chile and you went to the Windy City, one of my favorite places in, in the world. I love Chicago and, and Amsterdam. And it, it's great. Like you say, you had all of those international experiences because naturally it just enhances your overall understanding and, and sort of, you know, cultural differences and all of those other things that are important as a, as a lawyer. And you joined then the corporate finance team as an associate and then senior associate. So what skills did you learn as a senior associate, but perhaps different to that as, as an associate that's helped you where you are today? Uh, Rob, I mean, I was promoted to senior associate months before I left Clifford Chance. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it wasn't, I would say, a. I think that particular moment wasn't a massive transition, but I would say, you know, I was four, four and a half years qualified when I left. And, uh, uh, I mean, you learn an awful lot in a short period of time, particularly in, perhaps particularly in, in, in a really intense team, like um, the, the transactional team in any big city law firm will, will give you a lot of experience. And so I felt I was definitely quite a different person, uh, professionally at least, I, from when I left to a chance when I started it. And that was to do with you know, some of the people I was working with, some of the stuff, uh, some of the deals I was working on, one of the, I remember, I remember, I joined Clever Chance thinking that I really wanted to be a litigator. 
because uh, I thought yeah. that's what uh, that was sort of uh, there's sort of this kind of magic dust over litigation as uh, I think they've done some really good like internal branding yeah. or something the, the litigation department and so you had this sense of like oh that's it's really hard to get into the litigation team as an associate and you know they're the really clever ones and uh, <laughs> uh, you have to be a real superstar etc etc and so I did corporate as my first seat um, and by the time I sort of rotated through, I just realized that actually there's something special about what they were doing. And in particular, I remember, I remember looking at what some, some of the stuff that the senior associates were doing and thinking as a trainee, I just do not understand it. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, I do not know what they, I, I don't understand what they're doing. I remember the guy giving some advice on some aspect of the Companies Act. I'm thinking actually, yeah, that was hard. I've, I've done some first draft memo for him and it inevitably just was utterly, utterly rewritten. And, and I remember thinking, actually, you know, presumably it's let's 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 hope that I'm not a complete thicko, and um, these people were moderately like me when I was a trainee. Um, that that sort of means probably if I stick around here, I'll end up moderately like them. And mm-hmm. I thought well, that's that's probably that's probably a good idea, and that will um, that will be a good sort of path to walk at least for a while so um yeah that i guess that's a roundabout way of answering your question um learned a lot short space of time and uh, from a lot of very good people there's a really good 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 undertone in that as well as you know we talk about proximity as power and be surrounding yourself around those sort of people and just learning from them and you know by osmosis and all of that experience you gain so i think that's an invaluable share so really appreciate that and, and you touched on it before but you did do a lot of um traveling whilst you were with the Clipper Chance. You mentioned you obviously visited the copper mines in Chile, one of the largest uh, European coffee factories, Amsterdam, Paris, Chicago, Zurich, you know, the list goes on. But is there one particular experience from those travels that's most memorable for you? And if so, why? Uh, I think the hardest deal that I worked on, but also the one that probably taught me the most, was um, one that I worked on probably a year or so before I left. um, And that was uh, this coffee joint venture where we ended up in Amsterdam. And I th- I, it was memorable because it was just such a machine. We were working on the yeah. closing of a very, very complicated deal. Um, 42 countries were involved. So that's local council in 42 jurisdictions. Um, a fiendishly complicated tax steps plan <coughs> translated into a fiendishly complicated series of sort of legal steps and documentation. Massive team. Just generally, like it, the combination of sort of personally, sort of quite stressful, and sort of having to manage, um, you know, become quite resilient, and to sort of manage myself through that through that process, um, developing a lot of project management skills. Um, uh, not so much some technical legal stuff, but actually, in that case, you know, most of it was. Um, how are we going to get this done? How do we coordinate yeah. across all these places? I remember we had, I think they, they crunched a few, they collapsed some walls in the internal offices. So I think we had extra big internal meeting rooms with big uh, whiteboards sort of showing progress across all these countries and how are we going to do it. And it culminated in this trip to Amsterdam where the, it was a Dutch joint venture uh, uh, where we were basically working with the client finally putting it all together. And um, then this really surreal closing where everything had to be done because it was so, the, the structure was so intricate that each step had to have, 
happen in the right order. Yeah. So we had everything down to five minute increments, um, <coughs> running through hundreds of steps, and it wow. was all it was one conference call where we started at you know eight o'clock in the morning, or whatever, and then you'd go around the world dialing in um, China step one, and you'd patch in the Chinese team, and then Italy step one, and so on, and go through the day, um, interspersed with total surrealism because. Um, getting in the technicalities, but some of these, uh, uh, a number of these steps required the participation of notaries in uh, the Netherlands and Germany. And some of your listeners may have um, indeed maybe some traumatic memories of the fact that German notaries have to read all documents out loud. Um, yeah. So they can't just sign the thing. They've got to sit there reciting the document in German back at the people who drafted the thing. So we had to factor that into this whole day where we, so we'd go Germany step one, we'd put them on the line and say, are you with the notary? And they'd all go, yes, we're all in the notary's <laughs> office. Uh, we'd go, okay, can, can the notary, has, has he started speaking yet? And we said, yeah, he's reading the document now. We go, okay, great, we'll come back to you. And so we'd have to like put them on hold while they could read their thing, whip through a dozen other countries and then come back to Germany and say, right, has he finished, has he finished reading the thing yet? And then we'd, anyway, so um, it was it was quite an experience. Um, uh, it, it also probably was a factor in making me think, I'm not sure I want to be doing this for the rest of my professional career. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> it was certainly like, it was certainly a highlight of the experience. I know that's an awful lot. Yeah, I mean, what a mammoth thing to be part of. 42 different local councils, multi-jurisdictional to the max. I can imagine that was a lot of hard work and uh, a lot of effort. But thanks for sharing that. I think it's a really interesting experience that you had. And then so from obviously, you know, Clifford Chance, you know, move on. You then sort of, you know, become group corporate counsel for the, the group fashion group. What did your role involve with them? What were some of your responsibilities that, that you had? Yeah, so... Um I, well, I joined Global Fashion Group because I started to get interested in startups. And right. I thought, rightly or wrongly, that, um, that at CC, there probably, there wouldn't be that much opportunity to sort of be part of that scene. I was sort of you know, reading all these things about fundraising and tech, and it all looked quite cool. And I thought, you know, maybe I should go and be part of that. Um, in, actually, you know, the last few years, tech practice, so Clifford Chance has been going through the roof. So, you know. <laughs> but uh, so, but so, global fashion group. It was a, um, and it is a, basically a holding company now listed in Frankfurt, uh, then privately held by a bunch of venture capital funds, um, and they own a bunch of e-commerce fast fashion businesses around the world. So, if you think of a business like ASOS or like Boohoo.com, they owned businesses a bit like that, but in South America, Southeast Asia. Australia, so the ASOS's main competitor in Australia is a company called The Iconic, that's owned part of, the, part of this group. Russia, uh, and at the time, India and the Middle East. So I thought, right, it's sort of startup-y, but you know, big enough that actually some of my skills for proper chance and sort of global experience, blah, 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 that might be useful. So yeah, so the general counsel has said to me, you're not going to do much corporate work here, it's transferable skills, that's great, but... Um, uh, you'll be doing other stuff but lo and behold it's pretty much wall to wall the corporate deals for 
two years while I was there. And it all quite kicked off within a few weeks of me joining. So I joined at the, the tail end of a fundraising round. Um, we closed that within probably six weeks or so of me joining the company. And that sort of set the tone for the whole thing. So we did at least two fundraising rounds while I was there. Um, we The group went through a bit of a, a, a strategic change that expanded very quickly in the years before I joined. And that ended up in a bunch of markets that they probably didn't want to be in. Um, so we shared businesses in Thailand and Vietnam. India was a big one. Um, and then sold the business in the Middle East, which actually was a real start. Um, I was over in Dubai a few weeks ago, and everyone knows about that business. It's called Nashi, and it's one of the like big, big um, fashion e-commerce businesses out there. Um, and they, that in that case, they had an offer from a sort of local huge conglomerate. Um, so got to fly out to Dubai to work on that. Um, we had a small English business that we sold to uh, Tuka Suleiman of Dragon's Den. Yeah. Thing. Um, so negotiating with him was quite an experience as well. Uh, so yeah, it was actually ended up being a lot of M&A, um, a lot of fundraising. And it was a real case of that phrase, in the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Yeah. Yeah. So I basically joined at a point where like, I was the guy who'd done some corporate deals. So I ended up getting to do uh, probably, in just in terms of deal volume, more M&A than I did in two years at GFG than in, I know, the previous, maybe even like four years or so at Clipper Chance. Um, much smaller, but um, uh, yeah, just very quickly, as this group reshaped, buying a bit, selling a bit, raising some money, um, it was uh, a real, yeah, a real whirlwind of corporate work, which for me was was great to have that experience on on the in-house side. Yeah, exactly. You you kind of blended off your experience nicely and rounded it very nicely with obviously, like you say, the private practice and in-house side, and you'd amassed all of this experience, all of this knowledge, and then all of this passion. So then, in 2019, you founded Crafty Council, so bringing joy, insight, and connection to in-house legal professionals. So, can you tell us more about what the platform does? Yeah, sure. So um, we are a community and media platform for in-house lawyers. Um, what that means is that we're doing events and content and also just starting uh, market research and benchmarking for in-house. So um, the, we could go into those in a bit more detail, but the overall vision is you know, reflecting back on my experience at um, Global Fashion Group, you have a you know, kind of medium-sized legal team, um, uh, half of lawyers in London, more people around the world, um, and it can feel a little bit, a little bit isolated. Um, it's you go from a law firm where you have every expert under the sun is around there to support you. It's huge infrastructure, and then a legal team. Typically, you know, you are you know, specialists within the business. Other people in the business often are a little bit wary of the lawyers. Don't quite know what they do. They know that you know they have this sort of feeling of oh, you know, am I going to get into trouble? Uh, and uh, and it's quite tricky. And also, if you're in a company that's going through a lot of change or growing faster at the company that I was in, you're constantly doing new things. So you're inventing new processes and new ways of doing things, new products, new markets, etc. Um, and so I found it's quite hard to get a perspective of what good looks like. So what do, what do people normally do? I felt that I sometimes I was working on things where I thought, 
I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel here. Someone else, like me, must have done this many, many times over. So that feeling of isolation and that there'd be a real value in having a really vibrant in-house community and being able to share perspectives either together in person or through podcasts, video, articles, etc. I thought there was something, something there. Um, at the time, I was watching a lot of TED Talks, and I thought, yeah, there should be, should be more stuff like this for legal. Um, something that's exciting, a bit of a brand, sharing some of the cool stuff that people have been up to. So I had this sort of mishmash of thoughts around that. And I also look back at my private practice days and remember reading, writing lots of client briefings and sending it to clients, and they broadly went, oh, right. <laughs> I've had five on this topic this week already. Like, uh, uh, you know, this, this, you know, this, didn't, this particular one didn't land that right. And I thought maybe there's actually something there where you could build a company that is four in-house and you could probably also help and commercialize by working with law firms and others around legal to help them with their messaging. So basically um, help them with their marketing, do some content with them, invite them to events, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a little bit of the the jumble of thoughts that eventually turned into Crafty Council. Um, but right now, so community, we run a, a very active and fast-growing uh, community of in-house lawyers. It's a, what people get is, well, it's all free, right? It's free to join, hence perhaps why it's growing quickly. Um, yeah. So you get, um, you get allocated into a set of group depending on who you are. So if you're in a big if you're in a FTSE 100, you'll join FTSE and Friends, which is our group for FTSEs and big private companies, government, etc. Um, if you're in-house in a venture capital fund or private equity, then you'll be in Fundtastic, which is uh, our group for senior in-house lawyers in PE and VC. Um, if you're in a startup, then you'll be in our high-growth group. Um, and those are probably three of our most active groups. We've got one for Soul Council called Lean Legal, there's a juniors one, etc. So, Depending on your group, you then get um, invitations to very regular Zoom calls where you get to meet with your peers. Um, there's always a theme, sometimes a guest speaker, all Chatham House. Um, so this morning, there was a session on um, remote working, but particularly people working overseas. So what do you want to do? You know, this post-COVID, are we post-COVID? But <laughs> wherever we are. Um, world of you know, more flexibility, people asking, you know, actually, I might just, might just move to France, can I just work in France for a while, is that going to be all right? How often do I have to come back to the office? Where are you recruiting people from? So that was the session this morning. Um, legal ops, legal tech, working with law firms. So all this stuff happening at the Zoom. And then each group, we get people together for a quarterly dinner or a breakfast as well. We'll usually have a sponsor for one of those, so a law firm will come and give a presentation or a tech company, something like that. Um, uh, and um, we're doing a big event in the summer. So Crafty Fest, that's going to be our big sort of conference come festival crossover. Um, yeah, absolutely. I want to talk more about that just in a moment. Time for a quick break from the show. Are you a legal aid practitioner in England and Wales, specializing in civil or criminal legal aid matters? If you are, this message is for you. 
As a legal aid solicitor, you don't have time to waste on legal aid case management software that doesn't work to your needs. That's why Clio has developed a quicker, more accurate and affordable solution for legal aid solicitors in England and Wales. It could save you hours in your month, particularly when it comes to end of month invoicing and claims to the legal aid agency. To see how it all works, visit clio.com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. That's Clio, C-L-I-O dot com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. Now back to the show. I, I want to ask two quick questions. You mentioned before you didn't always see your career staying as a, as a lawyer. So did you always know you wanted to set up your own business at some point? I think uh, that was a seed that started to, uh, a seed that started to grow. I don't mixing <laughs> metaphors, but um, I think early on in my time at CC, I started to think there might be something, something yeah. there. Um, I, I felt like partly Clifford Chance was a really, really good business education. And, um, and I liked the, more and more I liked the idea of um, doing something creative. But, and I think creating a business is something creative. So one thing I didn't mention is that when I was at Oxford, I was a real fest. My thing was that I was always putting on plays. Uh, in fact, my now wife and I, we had a, um, we got together at the cast party of one of the plays that, that, that we put on. So I sort of had this like, I don't know, creative thing, which I buried for a while, I think. Um, and entrepreneurialism, I think is, is a way to kind of, it is a way to be creative in business. You just, you know, there's a, there's now a there's a thing, Crafty Council. It didn't. It was in my head. Now it exists. It's very different to the thing that was in my head. Like it's taken many twists and turns, but um, it's you know th- the world now has something in it for better or worse, which just wasn't there before. A number of people are employed by it. People, you know, people have uh, made friends, found jobs, uh, uh, met through it. So yeah, that's sort of. That's it. I, I had this entrepreneurial itch, which sort of I wanted to I wanted to scratch, but I spent a long time unsure as to how I was how I was going to do that. And yeah. one, I think one of there were a number of reasons for leaving Clever Chance, but I think one of them was I wasn't quite sure how this this idea of doing something entrepreneurial how I would do that, what that would manifest into. But I was pretty sure that it wasn't going to happen in the state of Clever Chance. Because uh, I, I I wasn't going to get the headspace to work on something, I didn't quite have the inspiration. I think I needed to sort of shake it up a bit and go somewhere else to um, to see what that might to to find myself to see to see what that might do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, moving back to Crafty Council, then, because you know the word of the moment is definitely community. You know, and I think organisations that haven't got their head around that need to get their head around that sharpish. And so, how did you begin to build such an inclusive? community because it's tremendous what you've achieved well the thank you the um the truth is that um i started it not very very originally the first manifestation i was more thinking about content so Mm. we were doing videos and we were publishing those on linkedin those were getting a, a really good reaction i was thinking about that ted analogy in terms of you know watching ted talks on youtube and I was thinking really content, content, content. And we invested a lot into getting really good at video for in-house. Um, and 
The interesting thing, the thing that I missed at the outset was I think the reason why people were finding it engaging and enjoying what was happening was actually because of community. And um, people enjoyed seeing their friends like on screen and they enjoyed yeah. being in it and sharing some ideas. And that was the little kernel of community that we we're creating. Um, and at the beginning of 2020, at the beginning of COVID, we did a bunch of roundtables with some of the people who were involved with Crafty Council. And the overwhelming feedback was they said, we think you're making a community, but you might not know it yet because you're just, you're just doing content. But the reason the content is interesting is because of the community. And mm-hmm. we, we assume that one day you're going to open this up. You're going to bring us together. Um, I, I was on one of these workshops and they said, you should just be doing this. And I, I, remember, I remember saying, but you're kind of doing us a favor by coming and sharing your thoughts about Crafty Cats. And, and they said, yes, true. But also, um, I hadn't met this. It's all, it's all on Zoom. And they were saying, well, you know, we haven't met each other. That's person interest, interesting. Their problem is a bit like my problem. Actually, you should, this is what, you, like the thing that you can, that you've built is ready made to be doing more of this. So it's a real wake-up call that actually, literally, we were told by our early Crafty Council fans, be a community because you've kind of made one. So own it. Uh, so that was that was interesting. So we then had a very rapid pivot at the uh, in 2020. Uh, so we're now two years on from that, where we got we went from being purely content, and I was positioning the company for a while as more like a training video training do your CBD through Crafty Council um, and actually missing the trip the community was a thing. And now two years on from that, that's been the big unlock. So um, I think, as you say, community's become this, it's the word of the moment. I think we caught that wave at the right time. I think there's a lot for us still to do, a lot. Um, We're growing the community very fast and that's our big priority this year. Um, But uh, yeah, that, um, that was the initial inspiration. And then it's been a lot of nurturing. It's been yeah. really talking with people. What's it, what does community mean? What does it mean in this context? What are the rituals of our community? What do they want to do? Um, uh, where do they live? We do, um, a, a lot of what we do is getting people together over Zoom. Whereas, you know, a lot of, you read about communities in tech, for example, the assumption in a lot of cases, that's primarily something that lives on Slack or yeah. um, some other digital message board. And we have that. We use something called Guild, which is a really good Slack-like community tool where you can you can get a bit more information who people are. You can see a profile, et cetera, et cetera. But interestingly, the, um, it's the Zoom and the live interaction and seeing people and now the in-person events. Uh, that, that has been where most of the magic um, has been. Yeah, and magic indeed. It's, it's it's great to hear the journey of, of how far you've come and you know taking that pivot because you know you're talking my language community. It's, it's what I even sleep you know with the leading speaking podcast and everything we do. I think it's so important. And with Crafty Council, that there, there are three pillars that form Crafty Council. My understanding. So you've got the Crafty Council, the Craft Community, and the Crafty Studios. So would you mind explaining a little bit more about each area? Yeah, sure. So. Um uh, the way uh, the, so the way I explain it is actually uh, there's actually four bits, right? So we're, so we're 
We're a content publisher, so we do our own editorial content, which consists of interviews with interesting in-house lawyers or people relevant to them, um, profiles of teams, uh, features on the latest um, issue of the day, etc. All so that's a publishing bit. All that is free, published through our newsletter, LinkedIn, website, etc., etc. Um, Cross Castle Studios is where that's basically our creative agency, working with law firms, recruiters, legal tech, the likes of LexisNexis. Um, and that's where we basically take all the content ability that we've got, so all that creative stuff, and then we marry it with the legal stuff. So I think we are trying to carve out a particular niche where we are a creative agency for legal. Um, and we are... Um, and so we help law firms, for example, on video content. Typically, it, what ends up being created is a marketing campaign that we publish through Crafty Council. So we'll publish, say, Crafty Council in collaboration with Norton Ross Fulbright or DLA Piper, who are two of our current clients, um, where we do a video series, we create it together, um, we co-brand it, we publish it together. What's a bit different about that versus say some of the other legal media platforms is that we don't take a say a law firm client briefing and then just distribute that we yeah. we're basically in media land you call this a branded campaign so we're collaborating with them to make content which is kind of on brand for us um and it's just as good as all the other content that we do but it's very much like a collaboration with us also. so so we're done Pub the publishing bit cross council studios the community is then getting everyone together over Zoom on Guild, the platform that I mentioned for message board and uh, messaging each other and stuff, and events. And that event side has been, that really grown hugely since Q4 last year when we kicked that off. Um, we do, every quarter now we do multiple dinners and breakfasts for each part of the community. So the FTSE and Friends dinner, um, the high growth dinner, we also do some thematic stuff. So we're doing a whole series with Reed Smith this year on ESG, which um, again is one of the, the, the topics of the moment. Um, so we had our kickoff dinner on that a few weeks ago. And for that one, we pull people from across all the different sector groups that we have. So we have people from FTSE, we have people from Fantastic, people from Lean Legal, etc., cetera, um, in to discuss ESG with Reed Smith over dinner. Um, so yeah, publishing, Print studios, community, and the last bit which is new is insights. Um, and that is led by my colleague Sonia. Sonia Hajat, she's our chief insights officer, um, XGC, uh, and she is building up there a new proposition on market research, consulting, benchmarking, basically just pulling on the fact that we're privy to all these conversations in our community, and very often we can see what what we're hearing from in-house lawyers about what they want and how they work and the challenges that they have is often somewhat at odds with what you hear in the market. Um, yeah. And so we think there's something that we can do there to go a little bit deeper. Um, in the first instance, working with law firms and, and others in the market on white papers, research, surveys, focus groups, stuff like that. Um, so leveraging our network, our content creation, um, and our insight from what we're, from what we're seeing. So those are the four bits. Uh, the publishing, studios, community, insight. 
Yeah, love it, love it. And it's it's just so right for the times that we're in and so ahead as well of many other organisations. So it's just fascinating to see what Crafty Council is, is doing. And you touched on it briefly before, but you do have some exciting news because on the 14th of June, uh, Regions Park, you're holding Crafty Fest. So can you give us a bit more insight into the event and how people can maybe get involved? Yeah, thank you, Rob. So Crafty Fest is, it, this is the first of what will become our flagship event. So we're doing, for the community, we're doing all these dinners and breakfasts that I mentioned. But um, we felt that we really need to put down a marker that every year we'll do something something big, something fun, something important. Um, and a, a real celebration in-house, but also with some substantive content there. So the plan is, this is the first one. Uh, we're going to learn and, and grow for future years. But what we're doing is we're in Regents Park. There is, actually, unbeknownst to me, as a Londoner for all my life, there is a university in Regent's Park called Regent's University. Um, ah. So with that, um, lovely Victorian building. Um, they've got uh, sweeping lawns in, like, private lawns at part of the park. So we've got um, uh, outside, big marquee. Um, we've got a band. We've got, uh, it looks like one of the GCs in our community will be playing. I think we haven't fully, fully confirmed, but I think, I think we're there now. Uh, so that'd be fun. Uh, treasure hunt, games, um, uh, barbecue, et cetera, et cetera. So real celebration going on outside. Um, and then inside we've got the Lecture Theatre University and we're using that for full content program. And what we're doing, I think it's a little bit different. We're, we're following the life cycle of a company as it pertains to in-house legal. So we start at the beginning of the day with um, you're the first, first general counsel, first lawyer into some company that's maybe just done it Series A or about to do it Series A. Um, what's that like? How do, you, how do you prepare for that? Then we segue into, uh, into product expansion, market expansion. Then we have a whole session dedicated to exit. So we've got the panel on being acquired. So we've got two GCs talking about what that was like. So when their company was bought, what changed, what was different, how did the culture change? Um, IPO. So people who've been through that experience. I've got one person whose company uh, SPACT, so special purpose acquisition company. So effectively listed in New York. Um, another was IPO'd in London. And then we've got a GC who previously was at a FinTech that went bust. So it's, that's what this was like, um, literally being the last employee, literally having to fire everyone and figure out like, how do we pay our creditors and return such money as around to investors. So that's the morning. And then in the afternoon, we get on to more listed companies sort of enterprise level stuff. We're doing some networking exercises. We're doing a whole session on legal ethics. We've got Professor Richard Moorhead, who is the, um, probably the foremost expert on ethics for in-house lawyers in the UK. Uh, professor Law at Exeter University. He's coming and he's leading a session there, um, and a bunch of case studies and um, other stuff in the afternoon. So that's the idea. It's following a life cycle of company, and then with that, it's sort of it's it's very much speaking to our community where we've got people from across that cross section as well, and we're pulling the community on on stage for for the presentation. So that's what's going on. Jam-packed, not to be missed. Sounds super, super exciting and full of content, full of great networking opportunities. So yeah, really great to see that being launched. And I can't wait to see the future of Crafty Council as well. And on that, I guess, finally, if our listeners do want to learn more about Crafty Council or Crafty Fest, where can they find out more? Well, you Google Crafty Fest. So there's a landing page just for Crafty Fest. Um, 
So yeah, Google Crafty first, it should be the first hit that you come up with. Um, otherwise, our website is craftycouncil.co.uk. Website has actually been completely overhauled. I think everyone always says it, so we're just changing our website, but we are, yeah. like new, new website <laughs> is coming out um, soon. So, um, uh, so, but that's where we are, craftycouncil.co.uk, or find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn every day, so. Um, yeah, if you find me on there, I'm the only Ben White at Karate Council, so uh, I'd love to love to speak to any of your listeners. Um, for us, as you picked up in the conversation, Rob, it's all about community, so always yeah. keen to meet new people, either in-house lawyers who want to get involved, or indeed uh, friends from law firms, legal tech, the wider ecosystem who, who would like to know more about um, how they can get involved as well. Uh, well, Ben, thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. So from, from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, I'd like to wish you lots of continued success with Crafty Council, your career and future pursuits. But for now, from all of us, over and out. This week's review comes from Maddie Pars. Five stars. Love it. Highly recommend. Uh, Maddie, we really appreciate your kind words. Simplicity at its finest. We really appreciate you. Thanks so much once again.